everybody. Welcome to The Fizzle Show. I'm your host, Corbett Barr, and this is our show about earning a living independently doing something you really love. Today, we're joined by Natalie Sisson. Natalie is founder of NatalieSisson.com, formerly of The Suitcase Entrepreneur as well. For six and a half years, Natalie lived out of her suitcase and visited 70 countries while running multiple six-figure businesses based around her blog. She's also the author of The Freedom Plan, Redesigning Your Business to Work Less, Earn More, and Be Free. Natalie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This is such an honor. I'm so excited to be speaking with you again. It's been way too long. I know. I, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, we have been internet friends forever and uh, have had the pleasure of hanging out in person a few times. I remember specifically here in Portland around the WDS World Domination Summit Conference, and um, it has been too long, so I'm, I'm really excited to catch up. Um, we have a bunch to touch on today, and uh, for people who aren't familiar, maybe just give us a little bit of backstory on your journey as an entrepreneur. Um, I want to catch us up to today where we're going to talk about some things that have happened over the past year, and um, I think it would be useful for people to have a little bit of context. Yeah, 100%. Oh, where to start? Well, I think I'll I'll keep it short because people may know my story, but in short, I quit my corporate job back in 2008 where I was in London, England, flew to Canada on a one-way ticket to play some world championship ultimate frisbee and started and co-founded a tech company while I was there. So my aim was how do I start working for myself and never ever be in the nine to five again? Well, not that kind of nine to five. Went to a lot of networking events because like Portland and like San Diego, Vancouver has tons of different networking events. Found my business partner there and he's like, I've got this idea for a software company. And I was like, brilliant. I'm a homeless, unemployed bum who knows how to do marketing and business development. So that was a really awesome opportunity to build a startup from the ground up for 18 months with zero budget, zero customers, zero background experience, um, getting investors on board, etc. And I started my blog and probably right around I started just a personal blog in 2009 to talk about my travels and adventures and then turn that into one for woman's world. I don't know if you can even remember that far back where I interviewed women entrepreneurs, especially in tech, about how they were managing being in a male-dominated industry, how they built their business and their brand. Um, and straight forward to sort of, oh gosh, even just a couple of years later, that was my full-time business. So I managed to turn that blog into the Suitcase Entrepreneur, which was a much better brand. I think I did that when I was at Blog World, where I met all my famous bloggers at the time and um, and came up with a better name and, and essentially turned that into my business, which um, was teaching other people how to build an online business while traveling the world. And I was, as you mentioned, traveling to up to 70 countries during that time and decided to live out of my suitcase full time for six and a half years like a crazy lady. <laughs> and um, yeah, it just was such an incredible journey to go on. Um, and these days I still do the same. I guess I'm a prolific content creator and my real, I guess, true strength is packaging my knowledge, skills and expertise into products and courses that people really need and that help them get a really great result. Natalie, um, would you mind on your side in Zoom recording um, oh, yeah. on the computer? Just uh, if you click record and then say on the computer, um, your internet did just cut out for a little bit. So uh, that way, uh, if you don't mind after this, I'll have you send me that file. Yeah, perfect. Okay. It's recording. Okay. And it goes to my computer. So okay. good. Fantastic. 
So living out of your suitcase for six and a half years, that is, uh, I've known a few people to do that. And I'm always amazed, not just that you can do it, but that you can run a business at the same time because travel does take (laughs) a lot of effort to plan and execute. Were you moving to different places frequently or were you staying in places for longer periods? Uh, it, all the time. I, I actually look back on it now and I'm like, how the hell did I manage that? Um, I think when I started, I stayed in Buenos Aires for five months. And then I went to Berlin and Amsterdam and stayed in each of those for two months. So I rented a place and pretty much from Amsterdam onwards, it was bounce mode. So I would be maybe in the US for one week, say in San Diego, and then I'd head to New York and then I might to Canada and then I might I mean it was ridiculous I was literally bouncing around sometimes I'd be changing every couple of days um and I also didn't and this may sound strange to people but I would just take the opportunities whenever they came along so if it was a sporting event like ultimate frisbee combined with a conference that I wanted to speak at or was wanting to attend combined with meeting some new people that I'd always had on my radar then I would just bounce to that place even if it meant it was in Asia um and so I didn't always have the best travel route but I certainly just took the opportunities and traveled where I kind of wanted to um and had a blast and I don't recommend it for everybody no no (laughs) definitely definitely um it it can be super stressful having to figure out where you're going to be the next week and where you're going to stay and all that kind of stuff my least favorite part of traveling is definitely all the planning involved. Um, you uh, ran your business from the road. When did you end up settling down? How how long ago was that? Uh, so I came back to New Zealand in late 2000 and, oh my gosh, you're testing me now, late 2016 um, and bought this big luxurious lifestyle property with my partner and two dogs and completely 180 degreed my life. So also probably a little bit too much change in one space, but yeah, we've been here almost three years now. So I want to talk about something that you shared a little bit. Um, and that is that it sounds like, you know, your business had been humming along and I, I know this feeling, you know, you, you kind of expect that everything is, is going to go pretty well for you, given your, your experience and, and the results that you've gotten so far, but you had an experience last year where, a launch really missed your expectations. Can you tell us about Mm -hmm. that? Yeah, it was the least fun experience I think I've ever had in business, but probably the most rewarding looking back. Um, So I have um, a really great program that I had run for several years and it was my most successful launch that I did each year to date, made like hundreds of thousands of dollars, which still blows my mind for me, um, especially because I was doing it while traveling full time. And I took this same program and decided to upgrade it and make it, um, not not rip it apart, but in many ways, upgrade it completely, reshoot all the videos, do them all professionally, um, paid for a videographer to come over, just really decided to go all out with it and upgrade the whole thing. And I must admit at the time I was like, I'm doing this because I said I would because a book of the same name had come out and it was doing really well. And I said that there would be a course off the back of it. So it felt a little bit like I'm an upholder. I don't know if you've done Gretchen Rubin's Four Tenancies. So if I say I'm going to do something, I do it for myself and for others. And I think the thing that I learned from that is because I said I would, not necessarily because I wanted to, I felt the pressure to do it. I turned up sort of... I went all in, but there was always this nagging feeling in my heart that maybe I wanted to be working on something else or something different or putting it out there in a different way. 
and I, I ignored a little bit my gut feeling. I'm usually really good at following it because I was going off the, no, I need to commit and show up and turn up for these people that I promised this to. And it just was a real flop. Like it actually did, no, it really didn't even do okay. Like <laughs> I spent quite a lot on advertising. I put a ton in. I hired all these people on a team to help me do it. I also delegated all the stuff that I do really well. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure why. I think I thought to make it all professional, I shouldn't be doing all the moving parts. So I delegated some of the stuff that I just naturally really good at, um, gave that to a team because I wanted to pay them. And it just, it flopped big time, like didn't get the sales, had crickets, all the things that I normally do so well just didn't work. Um, and it was a, re- it was a, just a shocker in my mind. And it really hurt my ego because, you know, entrepreneurs have to have egos to show up and turn up. Nobody else to the outside world probably realized people went through the course, they enjoyed it. But in my heart, I was like, this isn't the best thing I've ever done. It's not delivering. And it certainly didn't have the right amount of people through it for the cost. So it was a really expensive lesson to go through. I think people listening to this, um, if, you know, if anyone has been building a business, especially an online business where you, you know, have course sales or or product sales of some sort, you can probably relate to the feeling of launching something that misses your expectations or launching something that doesn't go well, but it's a bit of a different situation. Um, like I said earlier, when you've actually been doing quite well for a long time I, I can't imagine um, what that must have done. Did that send you into a bit of a, a tailspin? And, and what was your emotional state? And, and how did you rebuild from that? Did go into a tailspin. Not too much. I'm a pretty grounded person, but it really knocked my confidence, Corbett. Like, it really did. And I think that's a first. Like, I, I'm, I'm totally fine with failure. I love learning the lessons from it. I actually really love fear and failure I think they're great but I think because it was I was turned up to do everything that I do really well and I thought I executed it well but I didn't have the real belief or alignment or energy to go with that that's what hit me hardest is that this is the stuff that's my my bread and butter and if I can't even do it with this who am I and I think it it really took away from me for a while that I wasn't expert enough I wasn't the leading learner I thought I was and I really doubted all the things that I built up all my experience and skills in and you know what pulled me back out of it was all the people who just carried on going oh Natalie you're great with this and I love your book and this podcast is great and you're amazing with that and it was kind of like just started listening to them and what they thought of me and I was like huh I'm the only one who's lost faith in me not them they still think I'm the bee's knees hopefully and it really made me realize that I was putting all the pressure on myself and that I had basically hurt myself had a bruised ego and needed to deal with it so for sure it spent me in a It put me in a tailspin, but it also allowed me to go really deep back into what do I love to do? What am I really good at? And where did I give all those things up along the way in order to be this person that I'm not? And how do I get back to the basics? So it really helped me just lay the foundations again and start from, it felt like the beginning, but it wasn't. Did you um, take away any specific learnings or did you, were you able to sort of analyze the situation and say, okay, I think here's where I went wrong specifically. Yeah, I actually looked at the numbers after because numbers are really useful. Gut and intuition and all those wonderful emotions are fabulous, but the numbers don't lie. And it actually wasn't that horrible. The spend was decent. The return was okay. 
Um, and actually a number of people signed up after the launch and it's continued to do so. In fact, I got sale yesterday and I was like, oh. So it wasn't that everything was wrong. I really do think it was that energetically, and this may sound strange, but where your focus goes, energy flows. Energetically, I was not aligned enough with my launch. And the other second thing was, as I mentioned, I totally outsourced and delegated the things that I should have kept for me to do because that's where I show up best. Um, so when I looked at that and I really looked at the facts and I you know, did good analysis of it, I was like, okay, great lessons learned. And probably the third lesson was don't change what works. And I think as entrepreneurs, because we get a little bit bored with something, you know, like we, we do something really just great and it makes an impact and then we get a bit bored and we want to change it up and I don't think you should ever really change anything that's working you should just improve it and continue to tweak and improve not drastically think that you know what's best so I probably didn't listen enough to my audience or I didn't I failed to do the ideal client avatar which I get everybody to do in my courses because I think I thought I knew people well enough and I probably needed to come back to getting to know them more yeah, it's um, easy to um, gloss over some of the things that you will tell your clients and students are so important sometimes in your own business because you assume, like you said, oh, I've been doing this forever. I, I don't need to do this necessarily. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's interesting as well that you were in a way um, pressured from a couple of different directions. The first, as you said, was you had sort of laid down um, the, the gauntlet to yourself by saying in the book that this course will be available and you felt mm -hmm. like you had to stick with that. So you were kind of obligated to do it, but maybe didn't necessarily feel like it. So you weren't coming from this place of enthusiasm. It was more out of obligation. But the second thing is, um, I think as entrepreneurs, we hear a lot that, if you're doing everything yourself, you know, it's not really a business. You're just self-employed basically. And, and that real businesses learn how to, or real entrepreneurs learn how to hire other people to do the important things and work themselves out of a job so that the business can grow and, and all that sort of stuff. Right. And, and we've heard that over and over again in, in a number of different books and things. So you feel that that pressure maybe to grow a team and hire people and have people replace you and so on. But there's, there's gotta be a line somewhere because the, like you said, what works, what you know was working was you were really good at certain things. So if, if you had to like sort out all of that and look back and, and maybe grow a team in a different way, are there certain things that you recognize now as being like your secret sauce that you would hang on to and, and do yourself? Yeah, hundred percent. Like at the end of the day, I freaking love teaching and learning. So I want to show up every single time live. I want to be the person behind all the teaching, all the accountability, all the coaching. And that's just something that I've recognized. That's where I get my energy from. That's my wheelhouse. That's where I have the most gifts to give and where I do my best work. So I didn't outsource any of that in the first um, one, but I didn't have it included in my course, this live element of, of access to me and being able to really help a small amount of people. And the other thing is that I actually really love writing copy. I'm not the world's best copywriter, but I have a certain writing style and it resonates and my people know me and I handed some of that over. And I'm also actually pretty damn good with tech. I'm not the best, but I, I love design and I really love using Thrive Architect on my website, which is what I use. And I just, I handed that over to a website designer thinking they could do better. And 
probably just hired the wrong person in who wasn't familiar with launches. So some of those things around all the moving parts of a launch, I attempted to try and bring my team on and it actually slowed the whole thing down and meant that I was having to train people in something that I could have done myself. And I know the art of delegating is to train people as you, you know, you're doing something repetitive all the time. But I think for a launch, if you know all the moving parts and you know what's best, it's actually up to you to do the bits that are most important and delegate the rest. Bringing uh, multiple people on at once is a challenge as well, especially when you're planning for a launch, which has so many moving parts and then trying to train people up on things that you haven't trained someone to do before. I can imagine that that would be a challenge. Did you have any financial or business learnings from this aside from the launch itself and the product and so on? Did Was there anything that was more big picture or more financial related from having this uh, this course um, not do as well as you had hoped? Was there something that you yeah. took away from that or needed to change? Yeah. Uh, well, from a financial perspective, it, it really, as I said, I did invest quite a lot of money and time into it. So it really knocked me when it didn't come off. And now I look back on it, I'm like, oh, these are all the things you did. Um, it taught me enough that I actually, oh, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, sorry, my internet. Okay, perfect. Sorry about that. I'll just click. Um, it knocked me enough that I actually went and found a job in a similar sort of vein here in New Zealand just to get my head back into, okay, maybe I'm not as sharp as business as I think. And so I was like, what about if I go out and I put myself into somebody else's business and I just step back from doing all the things which we as entrepreneurs get to do until we build a great team and just see what it's like on the inside and just focusing in on one thing, which was around business development and client relationships in a learning company. So it was still aligned with the fact that I do a ton of online learning, but I think that actually really helped for two reasons. One, it made me realize that business is just hard regardless and, and being able to see the CEO in this, who's a great guy, but just it's been in business for 18 years and it's still tough. And um, second, it was quite nice to not have to be responsible for everything and just focus in on one area. And that actually allowed me to have more focus in on my own business, which I had now crunched down into just a couple of days a week. Um, and at the same time, it may sound odd, but I get why people want to receive a secure salary all the time. Like I can earn way more in my business than I can, but it was a really good salary. But it was just nice to know that was coming in regardless of what was happening. And it gave me time to breathe and get back into, okay, what do I, what do I absolutely love about my business? And I actually fell back in love with my business. That's what I, I say to lots of people. And so right now I'm just juiced and energized about all the things that back in last year, October, November, were draining to me. So that's a really fascinating thing, like that time of when do you quit or walk away versus how do you find the stuff that lit you up initially that made you so in love with your business. And so I'm really grateful to this job to one, just get me some financial abundance and grounding again, allow me to see how other businesses operate. And that actually mine was doing just fine. Thank you very much. And um, fall back in love with it and find all the things that I love so much about it partly because I didn't have as much time to work on it. So I was very focused on maximizing my time when I did have it to do the right things. The The amazing thing about being an entrepreneur is you have to learn so much. So you have to learn both um, broadly and deeply. You have to learn a lot of different things. And for certain things, you really have to have some depth in those things. And that means that you're you're gaining incredibly valuable skills. And you become actually more employable by being an entrepreneur than if you had just continued in a career doing the same thing over and over again, which means that 
you can always find something, you know, as a consultant or something, um, if need be. And, and I think a, a lot of us get so worried about, well, what if this doesn't work out, but if it doesn't work out for some reason, or if you need to take a break, um, or just have some breathing room, as you said, you probably have some like incredibly marketable skills and connections as well, which should make it, um, very likely that you'll find something you, um, go ahead, Natalie. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to add here that the thing that I find miraculous is, and this comes back to the ego, right? Like, um, is that even with taking a job and announcing that to my community pretty like transparently, because I'm all about being transparent and sharing the lessons. I actually thought that people in their mind would go, oh, you know, Natalie's not, you know, can't really be that great if she's got a job and she's also got her business. And actually people were like, oh God, I so see why you would have done this. And man, sometimes I've thought about doing this. Oh, I had people going, great move. I did it recently and it really helped. And uh, it just, it really it, it validated to me that if you've built trust and credibility with your community and you turn up and you give and you provide and you share, um, people just really value that. And they don't ever see you as less than or a failure. They're just really excited and they're on the journey with you. And if you can continue to impart your wisdom and share knowledge and they can learn from that, it's it's just a win-win. And that was just a real surprise to me. I think I was more caught up in my uh, my own thoughts of how it had come across versus what people actually thought is that, oh, you're human. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, people make mistakes and this is great and we're learning from you. So I just wanted to put that out there for people who get a little bit caught up and I, I need to be turning up or this is who people think I am versus, hey, I'm just human and here's how I'm going to turn up authentically and completely honestly. And people love that. And doesn't it just feel so much better to be upfront and transparent and honest because, you can sleep easy at night versus if you're trying to maintain this superhuman kind of, um, you know, appearance. I see a lot of people on Instagram and, and YouTube and elsewhere that are just trying to maintain this, this look um, and, you know, outward appearance for so long that it just, it eventually takes a toll on them. It's exhausting and it's so much easier to be transparent. And then, like you said, the upshot is usually you get more support from that because people can actually relate to you as a as, as opposed to assuming that you're some kind of superhuman person. Yeah, and being relatable is so much more awesome because if I think about actually this comes right back to this launch that failed last year. What I did is I was so professional in all my videos and makeup and all this stuff and that's not actually really me. I usually just turn up and I'm a bit of a larrikin and I'll do cartwheels or whatever and I realized that that was also unrelatable. It wasn't how I'd normally turn up so just always being 100% you. There's just nobody better than that. There's nobody more unique than you and that is the thing that sets you apart. So to never ever lose that is a really important lesson that I learned. So you recover from this experience launching a course and and dust yourself off but this wasn't the end of of your trials and tribulations over the past couple of years because you also mentioned to me that you had recently experienced a bit of something that I think a lot of people can relate to whether you're mm -hmm. working in a job or running a business and that is you felt some burnout mm -hmm. what was behind that can you tell us about that I was behind that, Corbett. I mean, I've only experienced it once before back in 2013 when I was on my book tour, which you were a part of. And I was just so excited to bring my book, The Suitcase Entrepreneur, to life. And I went on a book tour all around the US and into Canada. And I was just working on it 
constantly plus my business. And I got to a point where I was, I didn't actually realize that I hadn't stopped and I wasn't resting and my mind was busy all the time and friends pointed it out luckily and called it early so that I could rest up and and chill out and re-energize. And I thought I'd learned my lesson back then, but this year, just because um, I do love living life to the full and I know I have a capacity to take on a lot and I actually operate at a really good level with more rather than less. Uh, so I know that as a tendency of my own, but this time I just took on a little too much all at once. And there's a point at which you become um, too awesome. I know it sounds really odd, but you are operating too well. And that's usually a sign that you're about to like... <laughs> crash and so for me I was being ridiculously productive I was doing my Ironman training I was running my business which and three cohorts of a new accelerator that I've been running which has been a blessing and it's been awesome and then um, my job was also going well and I'd also taken on contracting a little bit to a startup even though just a couple of hours a week because I really wanted to help them because it was related to a charity that I believe in and all of that seemed doable and now listening to myself it sounds ridiculous but I thought I was handling it really well and um, and then it all just kind of caved over after one particular week where I spoke at two events at a really bad meeting with the startup and it just manifested in all sorts of ways and then I hit the wall on the Saturday and needed five days to just recover, turn off um, and tune out and I was really surprised I got to that point although other people probably would have seen it um, but what's fascinating about it Robert, is it was just you know I should have recognized it I'm not superwoman I don't have superwoman powers and that I had failed to even though I was still meditating and exercising all the time I'd failed to just give myself that space to rest and and be and then I actually went out to my cohorts in this accelerator and I said I just want to check in where everybody's energy is because this is also a crazy time of year and I want to see where you're all at and the amount of people who came forward and realized that they were on the precipice of burnout because I was honest about mine was a, a really beautiful thing actually and people took some time out and they stepped back and I'm just really glad that because I was able to catch it and I'm much better now and then actually be able to share that quite honestly with these people I'm teaching they were then able to recognize it and a lot of them sort of saved themselves from burnout. So I think it's a massively understated or under-talked about topic that so many more of us have these days more than ever because we're so connected and so on 24-7 and we've kind of forgotten to put ourselves first. Yeah, and um, obviously, you know, you can you can imagine that by consulting, uh, running your own business, having a job, <laughs> training for an Ironman, and you didn't mention- Oh, and we were well, selling a house. And selling your house <laughs> and, and running that um, property that you have, you know, several acres. Yeah. You can imagine that um, all of that could add up, obviously, to burnout. But <laughs> in the middle of it, you don't necessarily recognize that. And also, you know, to be fair, a lot of us want to know where our limits are, and we want to be operating at, at peak productivity. And, you know, living life to the full, as you said. And there are some people out there, uh, some insane entrepreneurs like Elon Musk or, or you know, name your favorite um, super driven entrepreneur. There are some people who seem to be really capable of, of operating at that kind of level. So we all have to find those limits, I guess. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we all have to experience burnout. Looking back on it, do you recognize that there were some signs that you ignored? Yes. Uh, I was starting to not sleep as well. And I really like my sleep. I'm a light sleeper, but I sleep well. So I was waking up with a lot more on my mind and I was waking up sort of in the middle of the night and wasn't able to calm it that well. 
my training for my Ironman, which I've been like, you know, training for anything of that distance is going to be quite full on, but I just wasn't enjoying it quite as much. It was becoming a little bit more of a burden and I could physically feel I was tired and things were just starting to be a little less fun. So it was, and it only happened in the space of two or three weeks because before that, everything was lighting me up. Everything was on purpose. Everything was fun. I was managing it all, as I mentioned, and it was energizing. And then in those last three weeks, it dipped to come on to the more burdensome, little more heavy, um, little less exciting to me. And yeah, I should have recognized it at that point. When we were prepping for this, uh, and, and you mentioned you were training for an Ironman and you said, well, actually it's just a half Ironman. I think people listening to this, if they're not familiar, a half Ironman is insane. A full Ironman <laughs> is just flat out crazy, but a half Ironman is, um, a half marathon, correct? Uh, yes, it's a it's a 1.9k swim. Uh, I don't know what that is in miles. Sorry, it is a 90 kilometer bike ride, and it is a half marathon. Yes, that's crazy. I mean, <laughs> I I ran a, a half marathon a few years ago, and that was the longest event I had done, and I was exhausted afterwards. I can't imagine getting on a bike to ride 50 miles afterwards, and then swimming over a mile. Uh, so, my my point about that being that um, I don't know if you find this, but Exercise is, of course, incredibly important for health and vitality, and also it tends to give you energy. But there is such a thing maybe as overtraining, and you can you know exercise so much that it actually eventually makes you fatigued, especially when you're layering on. It sounds like you are working a lot of hours as well. Um, is that the kind of relationship that you've had with exercise? Have you have you overtrained before? I know that you've been really into ultimate frisbee and, and other things in the past. Yeah, I don't think I've actually ever trained overtrained that much. Yeah, so thank you for acknowledging ultimate frisbee, um, which you can train a lot for as well. I think it's always been for me exercise is um, something that nurtures me, that strengthens me, that gives me clarity and focus, and makes me feel great. Um, and I very rarely overtrain, but with something like a triathlon, and I knew the buildup was coming because this event is happening in three weeks' time. So I knew it was the buildup, and then I get to taper. Um, I think it was just that combined with just not giving myself enough space for rest. And you're absolutely right. You can overtrain. So when I took those five days off to just recover and sleep and cry and nap and read and, and get rid of any responsibilities on my plate, only the things that still I had energy for, which wasn't much. Um, I will just say that for those listening, two weeks later, I did a quarter Ironman. So I did it just this weekend gone. And I think because I'd rested up so much and took time off training, which felt really weird because I'm training every single day pretty much. I had the best race ever and a great time and it felt great and I enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed it. And I was like, huh, that forced time out and that rest was way more powerful and beneficial than continuing to train. So I think sometimes you just have to recognize the best way to recover and to be more productive and more awesome is actually to rest. And we just don't do enough of that for ourselves. She yeah. says with fantastic hindsight. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> awesome. I, I would uh, love to switch gears a little bit here because you mentioned something that you have been working on for a while with your partner. And um, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently as well. And that is that goals don't just happen. It's not enough to just set a goal. And and so many people focus on goal setting. And, you know, it, it 
I think there are studies that show that goal setting is useful in itself, but just because you say you want something to happen doesn't mean that it's going to happen. Some people believe in this um, manifestation stuff, which is crazy to me, um, but some people swear by it, visualization, manifestation, all that kind of stuff. But um, there are more realistic, concrete things that you can do to make your goals happen. And um, this is, I think, the foundation of something you've called the Life Pilot Course. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, and it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I've always set big, juicy goals for myself. And I think most of the time, the reason why I hit them is because I'm so determined and persistent. But that doesn't work for everybody. And we need to think about, um, you know, how do you actually take a big-ass vision and translate it into what do you need to do tomorrow? And that was the disconnect for me. And um, so when I got together with Josh, and it was right around the time I made this 180 degree change in my life. And for the first time ever, Corbett, I was like, what am I, what am I going to do with like now I'm back in New Zealand and I'm not a suitcase entrepreneur technically and I'm not traveling. And I took a sabbatical from my business and we got puppies in this house. And I was like, wow. I completely changed my life and now I'm not quite sure where I'm at or what my next stage is. It's the first time in a long time that I didn't have a really clear vision. And so we just started, we went to Australia actually for a trip and we started doing this walk and talk and talking about what was important to us and what we wanted to achieve and what would feel good and just going through a ton of stuff that I could maybe do. I just threw everything up in the air, which was quite fun. And then we got home and we actually put it into a, a simple spreadsheet because Josh is a developer and I'm a bit geeky. And then we color coded the spreadsheet. And I think because both of us have a background in coaching and facilitating and different frameworks of, of how to work through these things, we just threw all of that and kind of vomited it out into this methodology that we called Life Pilot, which was that you can chart goals and you can write stuff down and you could say, I'd like to hit this. But if you don't have the power of reflection built in and if you don't have a rhythm every single day or week or month to see how you're progressing and chart that you're never really gonna make it happen right it's like you can't just say I want to be an Ironman and then not plan any training or a nutrition or anything and don't have a game plan and don't map that out every single day what do you need to do um, and it just made total sense to me because in sport you do that a lot right you train you have your milestones you work on your fitness you work as a team but in life, we don't often do that. We just sort of put our finger in our mouth and put in the air and go, oh, I'd like to make $50,000 this year. Um, so what we did is took the spreadsheet and then actually every single week we would put in what are the three things that we want to achieve. And we didn't allow ourselves to do any more than three, which was so freaking hard because most of us have, you know, 100 things on our to-do list. So... Um, we basically said, what are the three things that I'd like to achieve for this week? And we put them into our spreadsheet. Really simple, right? And we had discovered categories for our life that we thought were important. And I don't know if you've heard of the circle of life wheel. I think you've probably seen it online. There's lots of different theories and research around it. But you look at your life holistically. You look at your relationships, your family, your wealth, your health, your career, um, your personal growth, your fitness, etc. And we chose sort of eight areas of life that were really important to us based off the circle and we color coded them. And then the intention was each week we would write down three things we'd like to achieve across our life with these pretty colors. And what we noticed is for the first probably month, everything was business, 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 because we're both entrepreneurs. It was like, I want to do these three things. And I was like, hey, Josh, I think we're using this as a priority to-do list just for business and we're missing out on relationships, health, lifestyle, et cetera. 
So over the months, we basically got into this beautiful pattern of setting three things to do each week. And then we took it down into what are the three most important actions that if I did them today would make today fantastic. So we'd set our daily threes. And then every Sunday, we went to a cafe, we went out on a walk and we reflected and asked ourselves questions. And that was actually the key because in the past, I've been really good at setting goals and doing all those things, but I've never actually reflected on how did the week go? How did I track on those things? And how do I feel about that? And also, what am I noticing in those patterns? Because after a while on a spreadsheet, you can imagine you get a bit of data and these days we have three years worth of data. Um, but you start to notice trends and patterns of, oh, I keep putting this down as something I want to do today or this week or this month. And yet I've missed it three times in a row. So clearly it's not a priority. So let's take it off and dig deeper into what is. Um, and hence somewhere out of that came Life Pilot, this beautiful methodology, which is really one part geeky tracking spreadsheet tool and two part reflection prompts and really empowering interesting questions to get you thinking deeper about what really is important and it's the focus on checking in every single day with each other or with an accountability partner or with a friend and turning up every week to ask those questions has been a game changer for us so yeah we ended up turning it into a, a course because so many of our friends were like you two seem to be doing so great and you're so aligned and you have all these beautiful goals but it seems like you're doing them and you're making them happen and um, we're like yeah we'll share it with you and then yeah, ended up turning it into a course and it's been really cool. We have plans to, a little bit like you, turn it into an app, um, an app with inbuilt accountability, reflection and habits. Um, and also I'd love to get it into a paper-based format because not everybody loves spreadsheets. Um, and I'm well aware that there's a plethora of planners and goal-setting things out there, but I think, you know, if it works for somebody and they can make this methodology their own we're really big on saying rip it apart take it apart and take what works for you and throw away the rest because we for anything to be successful with goals and intentions it has to be sticky and you have to want to show up and and commit to it so yeah yeah it it, it has to be sticky that's that's really yeah. the key how, how many times have have you or or you know everybody listening to this um just had the best of intentions you sit down, you, you plan out your month or your year or how you want to dramatically change your life. And the vision just feels so good. Um, and you know, maybe you get off on the right foot and, and it sticks for a little while, but then it, it just starts to fade over time. And I think that's, you know, where most systems break down is, uh, what's going to happen two weeks or a month or two months from now when, you forget to check in with your goals or you forget to align what you're doing today with what you actually want to achieve um, or you're just down on motivation or, or whatever. And then the system kind of slips away and then the next day you forget about it. And then pretty soon you're completely off track. Um, so, you know, the key is stickiness and then also making sure that it works for you. There are a mm -hmm. lot of different systems out there and everybody's going to connect with certain systems in different ways. I'm curious, um, how does this framework, um, <clears throat> address habits versus one-off kind of projects that you need to do? So for, you know, for any, anything, um, that you want to do, let's say you decide that you want to grow a blog, you know, um, a, a great habit to have would be to show up and publish something twice a week versus a project might be that you need to design and, and, you know, launch your website. Do you differentiate between those or, or is that just something that you sit down and decide that you're going to do each day? 
Yeah, it's a it's a great question because I didn't sort of go into the fact that we also not only do it weekly, but every month we take a few hours. Every quarter we go away and we together do streaming. We do an annual adventure. So I just wanted to throw that in there. There's a lot more ah, got process to it. Um, so we actually just came back from a beautiful trip to Lake Taupo in New Zealand. And we spent two days there. We went to the hot pools. We had massage. We had dinners. We had lake walks. I did a little bit of training. And we also just dreamed and schemed and, and looked over our history and then set goals and intentions for the next quarter and into the next year. So, yeah, those are the exciting bits. Um, but in answer to your question, in our eight categories that we have, one of them is habits. And we put that in there because we noticed that some things you just have on for that week project, right? Maybe you're launching something or there's a, a podcast coming out or a client meeting or whatever it may be, or you're buying a new property, whatever. And um, that goes in for the week or the month or the day. But every so often there's something you just want to keep focusing on. And so for me, when I was wanting to be far more intentional around meditating, I put it in as a habit for two weeks running. And so that meant it was just one of those things that I needed to focus on. And once it became a habit, then I could take it off and just keep doing it. So mm -hmm. that's how we decided to use habits as actually one of the categories in Life Pilot. And it, it worked really well, actually because it's orange is our color for it and you put it in. And so that just means that is my focus regardless of anything else, whether it's, you know, vegetarian eating or it's um, getting eight hours of sleep, etc. So that was the way we managed that versus a project based activity. Love it. Um, can people find that course somewhere? Yeah, they can. <laughs> so I'm going to pause that here. Uh -huh. Either I can give you an affiliate link or um, it's at lifepilot.co. So okay, perfect. whatever yeah, life, for you. Lifepilot.co. Love it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Natalie, thank you so much for being here today. It's great to catch up with you. And um, I really appreciate you being so open and transparent and, and sharing some of the things that I think people feel like they need to hide sometimes, because like you said, uh, you know, you, you expect that people that follow you want you to be brave and perfect all the time, but in reality, the transparency can sometimes bring you closer. So thank you so much for sharing. You're so welcome. Thank you. Uh, you guys can find more from Natalie over at nataliesisson.com. You can also find her book, The Freedom Plan, over at Amazon. Uh, and as she said, you can find her Life Pilot course at lifepilot.co. Uh, as always, you can find links to everything that we talked about today over at fizzleshow.co. I'm Corbett Barr, and until next time, thanks for listening to The Fizzle Show. Fizzle Show.